0: So,
1: you were asking a question saying that sometimes hindrances are easy to deal with and sometimes they're difficult to deal with.
0: Hmm.
1: And that you were mentioning things like anxiety, which is also uh, possibly another way of saying worry. Hmm in the old days we we nowadays think of worry means just thinking about something but you've probably heard uh phrases like worry yourself sick over something which is now we're into deep anxiety and so worry and anxiety or restlessness um is all the same thing agitation now uh the body mind feeling complex uh is interrelated so that if one thing kicks it off the whole thing will continue to cycle but there is a way that you could come in and start cutting that stuff off Mm -hmm. but you have to take the right effort to do it and knowing that you've already been putting quite a lot of effort sometimes into working yourself up into feeling bad it is going to take a little bit of effort to work yourself out of that and to feel it good again. The question is, do you think that you're up to the task?
2: I'm up to the task.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, we pretty well know that you are up to the task because sometimes you can do it and sometimes you can't. But when you can do it, then you know you can do it. And that's going to give you the um, attitude that you can do it again.
2: Yeah, I I knew I could do it. I was seeing my mind in action and going, "Aha! Uh-huh, I see you." And I was able to to pull it out um, with things that I don't normally, or things that I can't normally pull my mind out of, or that I don't normally pull my mind out of. I was like, "Oh, that's really interesting. If I if I breathe and um, examine this, I can I can come out of." Them, but some of them, like you said, are um, a little stickier, like the worry, restlessness, and agitation.
1: Well, you use the word sticky. Mm, yeah. I was talking about it in relationship in a, in a, in a ball right. where you can whack it off, cut it. Uh, the, the sticky, the word sticky... Etc., is in fact a loser's mentality. Hmm. It's a victim's position, hmm. uh, hard to deal with. That in fact, the whole quality of the teaching of the Buddha has a lot to do with changing our attitude from a, this is hard to do into this is a piece of cake.
0: Awesome. Exactly so. And
1: we have to uh, gain that confidence through practicing over and over and over again so that you know that you can do it. And even when it feels like times are tough, recognize that you've made it tough because you call it tough. And you've added an extra burden, toughness, to what was just yesterday a piece of cake. And it really, the only thing that's changed about it is the attitude, can I do this or not?
2: Right. So the attitude is the key piece of the puzzle.
1: The attitude is the key piece. In Pali, it's Sama sankhapa. It's that word is translated as to right thought but a better way of talking about it is right thinking. A right thought process or the right way to think. So that the way that we think lines up with one's right noble attitude and it becomes a noble attitude. I mean, excuse me, one's right noble view. When we see things in a noble way with uh, the success of right effort to bring us about into that way, we gain confidence that yes, this is the direct, the correct way. It works. Hmm. And we can continue on this path as we gain the skills. So at those points in time when you think you don't have the skills, just say like never mind, start again. Just matter of change of attitude really and we need to keep that attitude in the sense that some thoughts we could call them persistent but we only would call them persistent in the sense of they continue to return all right however so does sati that we're beginning to have it also continuing to return. In fact, the continuing to return is what we mean by unremitting. Hmm. Sati is unremitting. In fact, it's almost like a, a, a flash or a pulse. In a way you could think of in an ordinary internal combustion engine, the sati is the spark. Okay. The spark to set that thing on fire, okay, and and so setting it on fire—that's the uh, um, uh, the right view of seeing things. Pushing that piston down then is the right effort, and when this when this thing is done that way over and over and over again, so that it's no longer sputtering and sputtering along or whatever like that, but it's got a then that's the right attitude so we could use that analogy for the eightfold noble path of getting that motor going, getting it unified and that shati is the spark that sets that thing off and so you want to have it intermittent over and over and over again so that we're firing on all cylinders because we remember to wake up
2: Yeah, I definitely feel like uh, I'll like rev it throughout the day and it will spin for a while and then i'll I'll let it go and then i'll I'll rev it again i I try and keep it going as often as I can throughout the day which is mm-hmm. it's quite often um, however yeah there are still periods where it's it's not going all the time and i I could definitely have more sati
1: well it is really great to practice sati with the uh, taking a deep breath, to remember to take a deep breath and to keep the sati, uh, to reinforce it, to bring it back out for a long, deep out breath. So, first is the long, deep in breath and then the long, deep out breath. The question is, how many more breaths are you going to keep mindful of before you forget about it again?
2: Yeah, I would say right now I've only been taking a few as opposed okay. to continuous All right.
1: so this is the way that we can think of as skills to be developed is one is to remember to get ourselves into a really good state at the very start of that is to remember to take a long deep good in breath mm. and the more of those long deep good in breaths we're going to have the more likely what we are going to have the whole feeling system move along with that when we're using the right kind of um, wholesome thoughts that move us in that direction. Like, wow, this is a really good breath. Oh, I really enjoy the breeze on the arm. Well, wow, what a nice day this is. Everything is okay. Everything is fine. So we've worked intentionally with really wholesome thoughts that way and when the old thoughts come back we can say never mind i see you and then we chase it off again that in fact that's one's right effort as a skill to be developed which means we're actually developing that skill when we can get to the point of throwing those uh continuously returning thoughts right back out again
2: Hmm. yeah it sounds to me like enjoying the present moment is, is the movement.
1: Yes. Enjoying this present moment because this moment is always fluid. Hmm. And it is always real. And almost always, it's not dangerous. But what is dangerous is our past and our future. You go monking in the past, you can run into all kinds of trouble. Sometimes a whole lot of work to do and problems to solve. And so now you gotta go off into the future with work to do. But in this present moment, everything's okay. Nothing to do, no place to go, everything's fine. You can just sit here and enjoy the moment. Hmm. Yeah. And how long can I sit here until I get worried again and then I'll go trotting off to go do something? But if I'm mindful, I can say, wait a minute. I don't have to get worried and trot off to go do something. I can just sit here
0: for a while.
2: Yeah, I can, I can see myself judging and comparing this present moment against past mind moments and, and potential future moments as well.
1: Always this one is good enough. Hmm. It meets the bar. I'm still breathing. That's the only bar you need to cross. All other comparisons we don't need. If I can't breathe, now we got an issue.
0: Right.
1: As yeah. long as we're breathing, this moment is just like all the other moments. To be
0: enjoyed instead of ignored.
2: Yeah, I feel a sense of gratitude in that.
0: Uh, I'm Absolutely.
1: Happy. It is so marvelous to be in the here and now. There's great power in the here-now. So um, Eckhart Tolle writes in the book. I haven't read it, but The Power of Now is one of the books he's got. And I can recognize that. yes. One of the things is, is that if you're looking now, you can see what's happening right now. And those people are thinking about what used to be, and so they're missing a whole lot of what's happening right now. This is called clairvoyance or clear seeing. It's a power, you know is the looking and seeing. And so the best thing to look at is to see how the mind works. Hmm. And the best way to do that is by keeping it clean because it's really a whole lot easier to see what the mind is doing when it's doing it correctly and operating correctly in a wholesome state. And so that's the first thing that we need to do. A lot of people say, oh, I've got to go do all of this psychological archaeology and find out what the problem is and why mommy spanked me when I was four years old and all kinds of little crap like that. And, to you know, that's getting everything backwards. The way that we need to investigate things is by first cleaning things out so we can see really clearly. So we want to get rid of the hindrances of the mind, including past thoughts, worries, whatever like that, and that we can get. Um, we can actually do a one-two punch, in the sense of working both with the breathing and with the mind. One's right effort requires on both sides of those. In the, in the suttas, the Buddha is exquisitely clear about getting the mind wholesome, But he was only inferentially clear about how important it is to have right effort at doing the breathing also, in the sense of bringing mindfulness up so that it, this is a long, deep breath, that you have to actually learn to control the breathing. But by doing so, we oxygenate the body, and we throw out carbon dioxide and other poisons now let's look at adrenaline for just a moment adrenaline and cortisol are two chemicals that are put out by the adrenaline gland which is in the uh, middle of the back and sits on top of the kidneys close to the liver this is important And there's a direct communication between the glands in the back of the head, the pituitary and the penile gland goes right down to one or the other of them, right down to the adrenaline gland. And so actually our thoughts change the body chemistry very quickly. And people, in fact, you know, you probably experienced that people can go from absolutely everything is okay, one instant. And they're in panic. It's like some something inside turned a whole fire hydrant of adrenaline on all at one time.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Okay. So that happens like that. But normally what it is is that a little bit of adrenaline comes with a little unwholesome thought. And so we begin to to leak it in and don't have anything to do with it no place to go and nothing to do. But by breathing, we begin to allow that backup to clear itself out so that the adrenaline that's already in the system can break down and be breathed out while oxygen is coming in and repairing all of the, uh, um, um, let us say, the the things that the adrenaline caused because the adrenaline there is for fight and flight. But you're not going to go fighting and you're not going to go flighting, but you feel like full of anxiety and tension and fear as if this was a real battle to either run away from or to enjoy. But in any case, these are old relics of feelings that come from deep in the past, except that the button is pushed or the trigger is pulled not by a real predator stirring in the bushes 10 yards from here. No, this adrenaline pump comes from thoughts, thoughts and memories of things. And so we literally work ourselves into a frenzy sometimes with just the theories of unwholesome thoughts. So every time we can interrupt that and do so with a deep breath, that means that we can help clear that stuff out and bring the body back to a state of homeostasis. This free from anxiety.
0: And oh,
1: what a relief it is.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You feel everything's okay inside, everything's survived. Survived is a Thai word, right. it's got onomatopoeia in it. In the sense of it, you could hear that word and you know what it means. Survive, survive. Everything's survive. Everything's all right. Everything's easy.
0: Hmm.
1: And this is the way that we want to practice. Practice getting ourselves into a really good, nice, comfortable state with the attitude that I can get myself into a nice, comfortable, easy state. And when the thoughts come up, of the outside, the kind of thoughts that are going to cause adrenaline, we need to be on top of them. This is what we mean by a mind that's fit to work. This is Dasa's term. In the Pali, they talk about it in the sense of applied and sustained thought. And what that means is that you can actually, when you think about it now, this is absolutely true, you can apply the mind to anything you want to. If you want to. If you actually do apply the mind, you can apply the mind. Most people, we don't apply our minds to much of anything. We don't want to. We we apply the mind half-heartedly because we're supposed to. But we can, in fact, apply the mind, and then the next quality is, is to s- sustain it. And so we want to look in the sense of applying the mind to the wholesome. Hmm.
2: I think
0: applying I need to...
1: The mind Pardon?
2: I, I think I need some clarity on exactly the, the distinction being made between wholesome and unwholesome thinking.
1: I bet you do.
0: <laughs>
1: that is the major question for each person to find out for themselves because it's the process. Your spiritual growth depends upon Your ability to discern wholesome from unwholesome. And as you do, you move closer and closer to the wholesome, leaving the unwholesome behind. But you yourself keep moving that bar. What used to be at this point, this is all unwholesome and this is wholesome. Now that you move the bar, that little bit in there, was the bar was moved because now that part is not wholesome. You see that. You finally saw the danger in it. And once you see the danger from it, now we can move on. We can find the escape from it. And so where do we escape to is into more and more wholesome.
2: Yeah, I I feel that sense of moving the bar. Uh, I think I've discovered just in the last couple days of trying this practice that, yeah, I'm I'm seeing new things as as unwholesome.
1: Um, Exactly. And to see things as unwholesome is both one's right effort and right view and right sati. And the Buddha says that these run and circle around each other. That's exactly the intent. So you ask exactly the right question to get exactly the right answer. And that is, it's up to you to go find out. What is wholesome and what is not wholesome? What is in fact Dukkha and what is not Dukkha? This is the entire teaching of the Buddha, his own guard. You come out of it. You got to see the enemy so that you can avoid him. And fighting with enemies is one of the enemies. (laughs) And we fight with ourselves sometimes. And are critical. These these critical thoughts we need to drop away and allow them to be wholesome, which means nurturing. Mm -hmm. So we want to nurture the mind, nurture the body. Everything's okay. Everything is fine. Don't worry
0: about that big bad noise. It's no big deal. Everything's all right. So
2: apply so Vitaka uh, on the, the wholesome, the nurturing, when I see that rise up, uh, note the wholesome when it arises.
1: Yes. Note the, the, the wholesome, that you want to encourage the wholesome and you want to abandon the unwholesome. Mm-hmm. And so being on guard. And, and when you, uh, Sati, wake up, and see that this is a wholesome thought that I'm having, you can congratulate yourself.
0: Wow, Yay! wholesome thoughts today. <laughs> all right, so we nurture,
1: everything's all right, everything is fine. There are no hurdles to climb over, there are no... Uh, Uh, Consolation prizes for losers because we're not losers here. We don't take the loser's attitude. We're all winners here.
0: This is the pride of lions, you know.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I think that... I'm trying to remember where I heard it, but there was a description of... Knowing where I'm going with the path, um, I think it was an analogy of the, the path of the Dhamma, like building a house and knowing the overall structure of the house uh, is wise, like that architect that knows the overall structure and is building a staircase to the house um, has a certain degree of wisdom. The architect that's just building a staircase to nowhere without an overall conception of what the house is going to look like um, could maybe benefit from learning what the full path entails.
1: Yes, and in fact, this is why it's um, both curious that it's not mentioned much when people when. Normally, the Eightfold Noble Path and the Four Noble Truths are taught. They don't much talk about the Third Noble Truth other than just giving it a note in passing. Right. Right. Freedom, from suffering. And now we go into the uh, the method, right? Uh, But in fact, these Four Noble Truths, each one of them is quite deep. The second noble truth is perhaps the one that's the deepest because that's where you find the five aggregates and the whole teaching of the teacher Samapada and all of that stuff, which ferrets uh, out all of the reasons and, and uh, purposes of dukkha. But along the way of that investigation, we also come in full contact with what really dukkha is, is just merely being dissatisfied with the moment. But also, we need to practice in in a big way from time to time to get a really, really architectural view of what this is all about. This third noble truth, getting ourselves into a state where we can say, well, right now, I really am in the state of no suffering. I don't want anything. I don't need anything. Everything right now is absolutely all right.
2: I had this moment uh, today. Uh, I was walking, and I—I I think I was asking myself or inquiring, like, is there any suffering present right now? As I was turning the corner on a little walk, and I realized, like, no, I—there, there is in this moment right here. There, there isn't any suffering, and it was—it was, it was sh- short-lived uh, in a sense. Like it made it But it was
1: also me. a yippee moment. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's the important thing, to start capitalizing on that yippee moment mm. because that was profound and powerful. You, in fact, could not sustain it. Mm. We understand that now. But what you need to do is to get yourself into that yippee moment quite often. And once you get into the habit of going into it often, then you'll learn how to sustain it.
0: More and more. Yeah, I I think that the trouble is
2: that when I I can sustain it, when I'm you know by myself going on a a walk or when Mm -hmm. I uh, when I'm alone, but when I am in relationship with other people, like subtle subtle things start to come up.
1: Uh, Absolutely. The Buddha talks all about this. This is, in fact, the whole point about the, uh, um, the, the analogy or the metaphor or the story of the log in the bog. That if you have a, a, a swamp and a, a swampy kind of a tree falls in the swamp, over a short period of time, that bog will sink right down to where only the very top of that log is showing and the whole rest of the log is underwater. Can a fireman, in the time of the Buddha, they had professional firemakers. Now we make fires easy. Somebody will say, yeah, I got a blowtorch. I'll go set that log on a fire. But normally, if you're rubbing sticks together, you're not going to be able to set that log in the bog on fire. The same thing with that yee wow feeling is it's very hard to have that when you're in the world that's bogged down, literally. So if you take that log out of the bog and set it up on the shore, can you turn it, uh, can you set it on fire now? The answer is still no, it's still completely saturated with water.
2: <laughs> I mean, like if, if I if I dried it out,
1: But if you set it in the sun and leave it there so that you have both gravity pulling the moisture down and the sun baking it off the top, then you can get an area on top of the log that you in fact can set on fire. This is in fact
0: exactly how they make dugout canoes.
2: Right, yeah. This, to me, seems like the the seclusion aspect or the going to a a foot of a tree that they talk about.
1: That's exactly right. So getting oneself into seclusion so that we can practice properly to gain wholesome thoughts one after another. Then we need to be on alert when we get up from that cushion or from that walk or from whatever and start dealing with people. We have to do it with the understanding and the new attitude, whatever whatever becomes of this situation, I'm going to maintain my joy. I'm going to be on top of this situation. I'm the one in charge here. I'm the one who is in, uh, who has the mind, and I want to keep it pure. That's the job. Okay, so now that's the way we begin to deal with people. But we can only deal with them in the sense that uh, if we put the log back in the bog, we have to make sure
0: that the bog doesn't completely swamp the log again.
2: Yeah, I think that there's there's something in knowing that I can come out of it. So even if I do get swamped, there is the potential of the. the possibility. Funny
1: that word "swamped." <laughs> <laughs> to be in a swamp is to be swamped. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, if I if I find myself swamped, I can come out of it given a, a certain amount of time. Uh, Yes, you
1: can. And Uh maybe it has to do more with distance than time. I say, you know, just before you get into an argument with somebody says, well, hang with that thought, I've
0: got to go to the bathroom right now and then you disappear. (laughs) When you allow Your number one new rule to be,
1: Dukkha, Dukkha, Naroda. You begin to deal with the world differently than when you're following the rules of society and the world and whatnot like that. So that when people invite you to come fight with them, you're obligated to come fight with them.
0: But when you recognize that that's Dukkha, then you can avoid the fight and take a hike. rather than standing there, get beat up and later heal.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that. Yeah. No, knowing that I can heal is, is positive, but, but recognizing that it's dukkha in the first place and that I can stay on top of it. Uh, it's. I, I think the word would, would be like, it's, it's exciting. It's a, it's an exciting prospect to think that. Uh,
1: Absolutely. To it is because we spend our whole lives worried. Am I going to be able to handle things? Now you're beginning to have the company. Don't matter what it is, I'll handle it. I got this. Wow, what a feeling of, of relief and freedom that is, is to know you can handle
0: anything, even your own death. Hmm. can handle
1: anything. That's the attitude of the lion, and that is a skill to be developed. And part of the skill of developing that is this being able to apply the mind to the wholesome over and over and
0: over and over again until you develop the attitude. I got that. Because that's exactly why you called.
1: You call to say, hey, I ain't got it yet.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, and I mean, uh, I'm sure that I will call again, but.
1: <laughs> oh, I uh, hope you do. There's a, lot of, there's a lot left to go for, but this is the most important teaching for the beginner is this whole quality of uh, wholesome thoughts. That's the number one thing. There are so many suttas about it that uh, it's hard to miss. And one of them that I'm thinking about now uh, is a kind of uh, an interesting sutta because it tends to fit so much together from some of the all of the other suttas. It's almost like all of the other suttas are pointing directly at this one. And one of the sutras is pointing directly at it is the Anapanasati sutta about how do you practice once you get the mind in such a wonderful, wholesome state. And that's exactly what that sutta teaches, which is exactly the fourth uh, tetrad of Anapanasati. The arising and the passing away and the falling and the relinquishment and all of that, but we do it with wholesome things first, not unwholesome. The
0: real education is by seeing only wholesome things fall apart. Yeah,
2: yeah, the, the mind in shamatha as opposed
1: to, you know, just right. doing and all hinder. exactly. Yeah. So in the sutta number 111, it starts off with talking about how, uh, why Sariputta is, saying that he's got quick wisdom, he's got sharp wisdom, he's got pervasive wisdom, he's got lapping wisdom. And then the Buddha says, and he did this within a fortnight, two weeks. And then the next thing he says, and this is how he does it. And then the next thing it starts with starts with this statement: quite secluded from sensual desires, quite secluded from all unwholesome states. Period. That's the starting point for the Buddhist practice.
2: Yeah, I, you, you can't even get into a, a jhana unless the isn't the, the definition of the first one is freedom from the hindrances.
1: precisely that's the next statement is after he is completely free from the unwholesome states he enters into and abides in first jhana hmm. that's the connection and so all of this talk about um access concentration is beside the point you're either in wholesome thoughts or unwholesome thoughts if you're in Unwholesome thoughts, you're in ordinary mind state, no matter how close you think it is to jhana, it's still unwholesome thinking, as opposed to having your mind completely wholesome and free from the hindrances is the jhana and the relief that comes about from being free from all of those hindrances. It's like being out of jail. It's like being free. It's like um, uh, uh, getting fired from a job you don't like. It's like uh, paying off your debts and not knowing anybody anything. And so that being completely debt-free is like, I got no place to go and nothing to do because I don't owe anybody anything. Now that is marvelous. That feeling of well-being, that feeling of sabai all comes from the fact that we're free from hindrances. So just being in that mentality, that frame of mind, so wholesome, People can walk and talk and listen and, and live their lives in first jhana completely free from unwholesome thoughts
2: yeah'm I'm, I'm curious about how like subtle first jhana would be as opposed to how deep because I feel like throughout my day there are there are plenty of times that I am not in in hindrances or the hindrances have have subsided, and I feel like it's like a little little island of, of joy or, or something, but it's, it's, it's very, it's just a, a satisfied, happy feeling.
1: Okay. So the next ingredient that needs to be added is yeehaw! I can do this.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Whippy yee Yeah Or wow. Or all of these really childlike words that have to do with, uh, oh, we've got so many words that don't fit. I was about to use the word enthralled, but no, this is not enthralled. Blown away. Yeah, that's one. Because it's the ego that's blown away, and you can see things really clearly. Okay, so getting yourself into that state of, oh,
2: of wonder. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, state of wonder. That's the first genre. In that state of wonder, because it
0: has that extra ingredient of how marvelous this is. So it's a state
1: of wonder, we call it, uh, but the words that we have sometimes in English language, like the words of bliss. That's so tired that it doesn't fit anymore. I'm not even sure what that means. But because we do know, for instance, if people go to the Grand Canyon and take in the Vista, they go into a state of awe. But they don't go into a state of bliss because we don't even know what that is. But we do know what a state of awe and state of wonder is because we have experienced that many times in our lives. Now we're actually going to use it as a skill to be developed.
2: Yeah, you were talking last time about pity and suka, and pity being, I think you said enthusiasm, or that Precisely. like, mm-hmm. I, I can do this. The attitude of a of a winner. Mm-hmm. I'm curious how you how you talk about suka in that way. Is is this bliss like is what you're talking about now with the awe and the wonder or the I don't know. I, I yeah, I'm
1: curious. I understand your question. Let us say that suka and pity are on a continuum, mm. and that in fact. Uh, in the Pali, you will often either hear one of them implying the other or that they're both there together. So Pitisuka will be a common Pali word. Or nice. a or uh, a uh a, a suka would be another way of of, of saying it. So a suk or Pity and sukha together indicate that there is a continuum. So let's look at the stuff that is softer. The softer would be a feeling of comfort, a feeling of satisfaction, a feeling of safety and security. A more, a more robust along the continuum would be got this or a feeling of enthusiasm, a feeling of wow. But underlying that feeling of wow, or enthusiasm, or gotcha, or yippee-kayo-kaye, or any of those kinds of expressions of what I'm talking about is a continuum that still has that quality of suka in it, in the sense of, and I am completely satisfied with this sometimes just reflecting upon the fact that this is the third noble truth will take us from the pity right into the sukkah. I mean, from the sukha right into the pity. Sorry, I got that backwards. Why? Because we are comfortable at how nice things are in the sense that freedom from dukkha, I'm satisfied. And then it dawns on, yeah, I really am satisfied. And so that dawning brings that uh, sukha up into the level of pity.
0: Hmm.
1: So pity is more energetic than Suka. And that may be a way of talking about it. Here's some examples. You're at a football game and the star of one of the teams makes a touchdown. Immediately after that touchdown, what did you do? Tell me physically, what do people see in the crowd?
2: like All right. it's a, a, a celebration
1: celebration that's it okay that's the win that's the pity we could use that word celebration it's a momentary celebration what are the fans who uh, follow that team who say that's my team my man made my touchdown what do they do with their arms
2: I, I like they shoot up the just, same uh, thing. Exact same thing. Yeah. They, like, ex- Right.
1: So they feel what he feels because they identify what he identified with. That's in fact, the reason why they paid a hundred dollars or whatever their seat was worth in that game is they come to feel like that. Hmm. And here we're going to start working on feeling that way without having to pay a dime for it. <laughs>
2: it reminds me of watching uh, like superhero movies. You feel like the superhero when you are.
1: Exactly. Okay. That's in fact the reason why they want you to feel that way. Uh, that's the whole point of the movie. Is to get you to feel accelerated and on top of the world. But that doesn't last for most people because it's just momentary. Here, we're actually developing it as a skill. So we're practicing it over and over again. Now, the next point, and that is what happens immediately after, say, 10 or 15 seconds after the crowd stands and cheers? What do they do now?
2: Uh, they sit down. They're super and happy. relax. Relax, yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay, that's the suka,
2: right? I'm. I'm. Okay. I'm thinking, yeah. Yeah. It's like the settling or the the. Okay. The settling
1: in of the euphoria, and we have that in a mini version in the first John, and then it goes full tilt, big time in the second John. And when he goes full tilt into the second jhana, the realization is is that wait a minute, this is too much pity. This is this is more joy and celebration than I can stand. And so that's where the second jhana then melts into the third jhana of just the real pity or the real satisfaction. But we really do need to go through that exhilaration of, I really can control the mind. I really can generate these kinds of feelings. Look how good I can make myself feel, would be the ordinary language, because we wouldn't even be having those kinds of thoughts.
0: We'd be too busy experiencing how nice it is. <sighs>
1: the very kind of things that people want to have when taking drugs, they don't realize that you've got all the components for doing that, Right inside the mind.
2: Yeah, definitely. I would say like some meditative experiences are, yeah, are way beyond um, what people would be after, I think. Um,
1: All right. Well, let's not go so far as to say how far one can go, but let's talk about how we get on the road and how we get there. Sure. How to get there. And that is back to these wholesome thoughts. One after another after another, we literally talk ourselves into these states. The very kind of states that people spend their whole lives trying to get into. Why do people join the Olympics? Why do people buy $100,000 automobiles? It's because they like the feelings.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right, And they don't recognize that they can deal with their feelings directly. That, in fact, from childhood, we've been spending all of our time in bad feelings. Feelings of remorse, regret, fear, sadness, worry, uh, anger, frustration, a feeling of I've got to get it done. And we haven't spent any time at all nurturing the kind of feelings of Winning because we think that we have to go ahead and actually go out and win in the world before we can allow ourselves to feel like we've won something. Well, you've been winning all along and you haven't allowed yourself
0: to feel like a winner. I mean, here you are, you're still alive, you're still breathing. That's all you need.
1: You're a complete success.
2: Right. Yeah. Just feeling like the outside circumstance. Because I know intellectually that having any of those things wouldn't bring the satisfaction and you hear people talking about it, like I needed or to have $10 million to realize that I don't want that. Um, Yeah, I think that, yeah, just thinking about having those things, or not having those things, but still having the same feeling.
0: <laughs>
1: Here's something.
2: The, if, the few- you
1: have million, if you did have $10 million, who would you give it to? Knowing that uh, anybody that you give money to is going to pollute them and make them feel bad. So what you're actually wanting to do when you make up this list about what to do with that $10 million is an enemy's list.
2: enemies list wow yeah
1: it's an enemies list why because that man's going to get really messed up if you give him a million (laughs) dollars
2: right yeah it's a corrupting force
1: Mm. that's the whole point that we think that we'll feel safe and secure if we had a lot of money But in fact, lots of money means now the money is so important that we've got to take care of it. So now I've got two lives to save, mine and the money.
0: Got two levels of (laughs) dukkha. Yeah. But when we're satisfied, then let's just be satisfied. That's what the Buddha is really teaching, is to come out of dukkha. dukkha
1: Naroda is actually nothing but sukha. Just being in a state of everything's good, everything's fine. No worries, no problem. I don't want anything, and if I don't want anything, I'm not going to harm anybody to try to get it.
2: So part of my question around this then, if sukha is the end of dukkha Naroda. How does that fit into, like, uh, a path model or the end of suffering? Like, sorry, I mean, like, the the capital.
1: when you're able to do that, in that moment that you're able to do that, you have ended suffering. And when you find sometimes when you have not ended suffering, that should be the motivation to, hey, I need to get out of this because I know what it's like to be out of it.
2: So it's less of, like, a moment is what I'm hearing, and more of a practice where you 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 practice coming out of Dukha Naroda with Suka enough times that you, you can stay on top of it,
1: as opposed stay to on like, top of, exactly
2: ah this insight now I am an Anagami or you know or
1: right Pe- people are are uh, hoping and looking for uh, something like that basically because it has been common in the Western Buddhist practice for
0: ever so many years is, is that it's hard in the beginning. But now- Sorry, I I lost you for a second there. Can you hear me now? summarato Can you hear me?